Uh, today we are still in Mark chapter 12, looking at verses 28 through 34, so you can flip over in your copy of God's Word. That's where we're going to be today, concluding this service of loving the Lord, this series, excuse me, of loving the Lord with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when we consider the previous week's sermons, how we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we come to today with a consideration of what that looks like to love Him with all of our strength. When we consider strength, uh, we often think of lifting something. Most, for some, it's like weightlifting. We think of that. I, I think about that. I see uh, Mr. and Miss Short up there just, man, I'm telling you, just putting me to shame, lifting those weights up there at Planet Fitness and and uh, getting to see them up there when I do. Of course, they usually beat me, and they leave before I even get there. So uh, they're, they're putting me to shame. But I enjoy going to the gym. And, you know, when I think about going to the gym and, and the point of being strong physically, when I think about that, uh, and I've talked with some other folks about this, you know, as, as a married man, I want to be strong enough to be able to physically take care of my wife if, if the need be. And I've talked with some other men in, in the church as well, and uh, they have said that same thing. And they also want to be strong enough that if something were to happen, that they're not reliant fully on their wives being able to physically take care of them. They can help take care of themselves. And so that's, a, that's two of the reasons why people go and they build up their strength. You can build up your strength by getting into cardio and right, walking on a treadmill. Some of you may even have them at your house once you take off all the hangers from your clothes you've been hanging on them. You can get on that treadmill or, or all those different type things that you know that we do. Uh, and, and so uh, we, we want to build up our strength because we want longevity to be able to do what we do. And, uh, you know, I, I've also heard about dad strength. Anybody ever heard of dad strength? Come on now, seriously, you ain't never heard of that? Julie has. I guess I made it up. I don't know. But um, once you become a father, there's something, you get this added boost of power. You know what I mean? I don't know what the Lord gives to us, but he just does. When I think about that, I think back to my father. And I've always, man, my dad's always been like, he's been like a superhero to me. I've always seen him as just, he can do anything. I mean, and honestly, I think he can. But I remember one time when I was a teenager, my Chevy S10 truck, I was coming home from church one Sunday, I believe it was. It wasn't long after I taught Julie how to drive it. I'll just add that in there. But anyway, I'm coming home from church, and something happens to my engine. I don't even know what happened to my engine. So anyway, we get home. It's like clack, 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 clack. It won't, it won't make it up the hill. So Daddy comes down there, and he, he pulls it home. So we have to put a new engine in the truck. Dad's underneath there. I'm not going to lay down this morning on, to show you what I mean. But we're underneath trying to replace that engine ourselves. And Dad, Dad went to Vietnam. He worked on airplanes with the Air Force. He rebuilt tanks when he came back from Vietnam working at the Anderson Army Depot. He knows how to fix an engine. He had done helped my uncle rebuild my cousin's 55 Chevy Bel Air. He helped my brother rebuild his 66 Mustang. Daddy knew how to fix a vehicle. So we're underneath that truck. I, I use the term we're loosely uh, or we loosely. He's underneath the truck, and Dad, the, the transmission slips out of the engine, which was the goal because we needed to disconnect it. Well, Daddy just pulls his knee up, and he catches that, that transmission on his knee. And I'm like, holy moly, that's my Daddy, you know? And, and, and like, Dad's just strong like that, you know? And uh, I've seen Dad do some other things, but, but, you know, you think about that dad strength. There's a strength there, and, and you hopefully you have some fond memories working along either your dad or maybe a, a father-like figure, and you've seen them uh, use that strength, and you're just like, I don't know if I'll ever have something like that. Well, 
I don't know if you will either, but if you ever have children, maybe God will bless you with dad's strength. But I remember that. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways of expressing strength. Um, it's not just always physically, which is what we're talking about really today, but there's all different types of strengths. I remember back in 1987 when my papa passed away, my, my mama's daddy, and the strength that I saw my mom and my, my little mamma uh, show during that time. And then when my little mamma had to take care of my big mamma, uh, this was not based on size, this was just based on age. We called a big mamma a little mamma. But um, seeing them care for them, I remember seeing my dad when my meemaw passed away and, and seeing the strength that they showed, which was only strength that could be shown because they had a relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's, there's different types of strength. But today, as we look at this today, we're looking a lot at physical strength and what it means to love the Lord with all of our strength. So if you will, if you found your place in Mark chapter 12, in Mark chapter 12, um, verses 28 through 34. We're going to read that together. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. It reads like this. <clears throat> then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he, being Jesus, had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Which is the first commandment of all? Important word there. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. So today, as we look at this thought of loving the Lord with all of our strength... Three things that I saw how we exercise this love for the Lord with all of our strength. Three ways as I was studying this week and over the past several weeks that I see that this kind of fleshes out is it fleshes out in these three ways. We love the Lord with loving the Lord with all of our strength is through service. It's through service. And secondly, it's through worship. And thirdly, it's through going. So as we think about these things, how do we love the Lord with all of our strength? Well, the first thing is through service. And uh, when we think through this, we can begin by considering the structure through which this service is offered. You know, I talked about weightlifting and being stronger physically in the body. And, and we need to understand that service and worship begins in the heart. It's in the soul. It's in the mind, but it's fleshed out through the strength, through the body. And in, in each one of us make up a portion of the whole of the body of Christ, the church. It makes up a little bit of each one of us. So before diving too deep into the understanding of the strength of service through the body, with all of our strength, let us explore the wonder of God's creation of the body. The human body is greater than any temple built by men 
It is the greatest temple known to men, the human body. There was a great revivalist, an author and preacher. His name was Robert G. Lee. Some of you may have heard of him. Uh, and my father-in-law really, really cherished his teaching and preaching and gave me many of his books that he had written. And one book that Robert G. Lee wrote was entitled, entitled uh, Yielded Bodies. Yielded Bodies. And as I was studying this week, he, he wrote this. And I just thought this is it's too good not to share. So I want to share this with you. Robert G. Lee wrote this. He said, wonderful is the human body, the framework. With 200 bones in the framework, not counting the bones in the ears, more durable than steel, with every joint tightly enclosed, moving in a constant bath of oil and producing its own oil. Wonderful, the body's running gear, the muscles, with its system of coordinate contractions among different groups of muscles. Wonderful, the breather system of the human machine, starting at the nose with a thermostatic control, the lungs and skin. Throughout every portion of the skin are found millions of tiny glands. A most marvelous fact about the human body is that its life is not a single thing. It's made up of an immense number of individual units, microscopic in size, each having a structure of its own, a function of its own, a life of its own. So small are they and so numerous that in a drop of blood, as large as a small pinhead, there are five million of them. Is the efficiency of any modern machine about which engineers talk as great as the efficiency of man's body when it functions in health and strength? Now, I want us to consider how in the Bible, Paul writes of the body, the church, as the way Christ expresses his mission. We are to be strong in body and in heart, soul, and mind. And we, as the body of Christ, should be strong. When we come, why do we come to the house of the Lord? We come to the house to be equipped for service. That's why we come to the house of the Lord. We come to the house of the Lord to worship, to prepare, to go. We come to the house of the Lord to worship, to prepare, to go. That's why we come, to be equipped and to worship, to prepare, to go. That's why we come to the house of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, if you'll flip over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning there in verse 12 and going through chapter 13, verse 13, it's a good bit to read. But I would like to share with you 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. This, in my Bible, is entitled Unity and Diversity in One Body. I'm going to read through this, then I'm going to talk backwards through it. Chapter 12, verse 12 of 1 Corinthians, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Does that not sound like exactly what I read? From Pastor Robert G. Lee, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No, no. 
And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? No. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, and that and there should be no schism in the body, and that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. For you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Then we get into chapter 13, which is known as the love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become, like, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all all things endures, all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Now I want you to understand, when we look at this portion of Scripture, it is talking about the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter what you do in the church. We are the body and we are to be about service. All of this is about how to serve. But I want to tell you this. It doesn't matter how you serve if you don't serve in love. There is zero value in what we do in this church if we're not doing it through the love of Christ. God is love. 
And if we're going to serve in the church, we've got to serve with love. So although chapter 13 so often used at weddings, but I want to tell you this, it's really about serving in the church. And if we don't have love for Christ that we've experienced by the love of Christ, and we don't pour out the love of Christ in what we do in the church, if we do it uh, routinely, if we do it because we got to do it, if we do it because we're guilted into do it, you're not doing it out of love. So the fruit of it is going to be minimal. You want to see God bless the church? You want to see God bless you? You want to see God bless with salvations? Do things in love. Not because you need the notoriety, not because you need the position, not because you've had the position forever, not because of any other reason, but the fact that God has saved you by His grace. He has poured out His love on you. You have experienced it, and you say, I want somebody, somehow, some way, to experience what I've experienced. And I've experienced the love of Christ. So why do I serve? Why do I do the nursery? Why do I love these kids and sit back here so their parents can be out here? Because I love Jesus. Why do I teach the youth Sunday morning or Sunday night? Why do I play the piano or the keyboards or sing in a choir? Because I love Jesus. Why do I come on Wednesday nights? Because I love Jesus. Why do I serve in the food closet? Why do I come up here during the week and stock up the building? Why do I drive the truck that picks up the food, that brings the food back to feed the community? Because I love Jesus. It, it can't be because of a guilt. It can't be because of a have to. It's because I get to. And when we would view the service of the Lord and the strength that God's given you as a get-to instead of a have-to, you'll really be blessed. But if we constantly see our service for the Lord as something, well, I guess i got to do it. i got to be here. No, you don't. I was talking with somebody the other day, and I said, you know, we become so prideful many, many a times as, as ministers. Man, if I leave this church, man, things are going to fall apart. No, it's not. That church existed before you came. It's going to exist after you leave. The church wasn't built on Blake Prater. It wasn't built on Howard Thompson. It wasn't built on Dwayne Norman. It's built on Jesus Christ. If you don't know, those are previous pastors. I love them all. Great men of God. I, love, I know all of them and, and, and have met them and, and hung out with them. But it doesn't matter. It's not built on them. It's not built on me. It's built on Jesus. And if you love Jesus, you're going to do what you're supposed to do, whether Brother Blake motivates you through a sermon or not. And you'll see that this is the love. The love. All this stuff. You're like a clanging cymbal if you don't have love. It doesn't matter if you can speak in tongues, which, by the way, if you read that, some denominations don't get that right. What If you read back up into that, it says, do all speak in tongues? No, they don't, because that's a gift. Do all, are all apostles, or all prophets, or all teachers? No, they're not. That's a gift of God. Go back and read that anyway. I don't want to jump on that and stay there too long, but I just want you to understand context of Scripture. I've never spoken in tongues, so should I not be your pastor? No, because that's not something God's called me to. 
He's called me to be a teacher and a preacher. That's what he's called me to do, listed right there. There's a place for me in the service of the Lord. There's a place for you in the service of the Lord. We're all members of one body. There's something for you to do here. Something for you to do here. Be a prayer warrior, if anything else. God needs you. We need you. God needs us. We need to love the Lord with all of our strength through service. Through service. Secondly, loving the Lord with all our strength is through worship. It's through worship. In worship, our life is an ongoing worship event. Do you realize that? Our life is an ongoing worship event. When we consider what we set our strengths toward, worship of our Lord and Savior is to be the highest. It's to be the highest thing of all we do. John MacArthur wrote a book, and it's called Worship, The Highest Priority. Excellent book. I've used some quotes out of it. I'm going to share with you in just a minute. But worship, your life is a worship service. You check your checkbook. You check your banking account. You check your mileage in your vehicle. Where have you gone this past week? You know, what are you doing? A lot of times our worship gets to be on our sports. Our worship gets to be on our homes. Our worship gets to be on our families even. Our worship gets to be on a variety of things. But yet, we, where we will see our worship, we will find in where we go what we prioritize. Worship is the ultimate priority. Missions, something that John MacArthur said, worship uh, exists, excuse me, missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. If everybody everywhere understood what they were worshiping, then we wouldn't need missions to go tell everybody about Jesus. You read from Romans chapter 1, you find out about that. But we have, we have taken this mindset of worship and we've segregated it into singing. Or better yet, even a style of singing. Worship is not just singing. Worship is in your giving. You think about what you give your money to. You go back, like I said, check that pocketbook. Your worship's in your giving. Your worship's in your going. Your worship's in your service. What are you serving? Love the Lord with all of your strength through worship. And I've heard people say, well, I don't like to sing. That's okay. Worship is not delegated. And, and segregated and compartmentalized only to the lifting of the voice. Worship is our lives. It's an ongoing worship event. Worship is a lifelong effort of giving glory. Worship is a lifelong effort of giving glory. Julie and I had the opportunity to go watch a movie this past Friday night. We went and saw the movie Jesus Revolution. I'd highly encourage you going to see it. It's very challenging, great movie, very powerful, good movie. Um, but there was a line in there repeated twice, and I thought it was pretty powerful. Because you come to the realization that Greg in the movie, which if you know Greg Laurie, Greg Laurie's a pastor, he preaches out on the West Coast still. He has done crusades and shared the gospel with thousands of people. Man, Greg Laurie is top-notch. He's a huge evangelist, too. He wants people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But Greg was a part of that Jesus revolution. And he was kind of the catalyst of getting this movie flowing. Okay, But anyway, in the movie, when he comes to faith, he tells the girl that he is dating, he says, look, he says, if you get between me and God, it's over. That's worship. If you get between me and God, it's over. How many of us would ever say that? 
I mean, most of us in here, we're either married or, or we've had, had the joy of marriage. But if, you, if you're not, I had, a, I had a boy in my youth group years ago in West Park Heights. I'll never forget it. He, he'd tell girls, he'd say, he'd say, you come to church with me. He said, on Sundays, I go to church. Now, he's also a hunter. He said, so, he said, as long as it's not hunting season, you're going to church with me. He said, but if it's hunting season, you're going to be in a deer stand with me. <laughs> but he was at church every Sunday. And even during hunting season, sometimes he was in church too. But I'm telling you, if a girl was dating him, they were right there with him. And, and I, I give God the glory because one of the young ladies that he was dating, they eventually broke up. She married a gentleman. They're both in church. And the same thing is the case with her and her husband. They go to a church over in Calhoun County. And uh, I had the joy of seeing them uh, keep up with them on Facebook. But, but if you get between me and God, it's over. And that's the way it should be, not just with people. That should be with anything in our lives. Because worship of God is the ultimate priority. It's how we express our strength. John MacArthur wrote this, Real acts of worship must be the overflow of a perpetually worshiping life. And he also wrote of his church how their perspective and participation in worship changed when they understood that worship is the priority. He said, many saw worship as a participant's activity after they had changed, not a spectator sport. Many realized for the first time that worship is the church's ultimate priority. Not public relations, not recreation and social activities, not boosting attendance figures, but worshiping God is the ultimate priority. Peter wrote in his epistle in 1 Peter 5.10 about how the Lord through the Holy Spirit will strengthen you and he strengthens us toward a life of continuous worship. He reinforces our spiritual graces, fortifies our ability to resist the evil one, and intensifies our spiritual insights. Intellectually, God gives us wisdom and insight. Physically, as we are contemplating today, he makes us stronger and provides endurance for the journey and help along the way. That's what the Lord does for us. We worship him, and our strength is expressed in our worship. Getting ourselves ready. Getting to bed on time. This is a, Sunday morning is a Saturday night choice. I've heard that said all the time. I've heard that many times over the years. Sunday morning is a Saturday night choice. Don't get up on Sunday morning wondering, what am I going to wear? Because you know good and well, you might change clothes two or three times. You know, make a decision on Saturday night. Go to bed at a decent hour. Don't fall asleep on the couch like I did last night. Go to bed at a decent hour. Take your shower the night before. Guys, shave the night before. I don't care if you come in with a 5 o'clock shadow. I don't care. Just be here. Be prepared. Be here. Worship the Lord. Get ready. Get prepared. Uh, getting our clothes laid out. Getting our breakfast prepared so we don't come physically hungry, thus being distracted. Getting our Bibles and other materials ready. Getting our house in order. Getting out the door and into the house of the Lord. Now, this is just a weekend physical preparation. But we need an everyday getting ready for the Lord. We need an everyday getting ready for the Lord. If you know it's hard for you to get up and have a Bible study or a devotion on, on the next morning, set your Bible out on the night before. Sit it out on the kitchen table where you're going to sit down or sit it right at an angle from your plate where you're going to sit it down. Do that. Whatever it takes to have time with the Lord, but, but to worship Him. Take the time. You've got to think it through. 
We all become lazy in different areas. This is one area where we can, can really make strides to step beyond being lazy. When we consider worship and how that requires our strength, we can look back into Hebrews. We can look back into what, uh, in, as we sang this morning from Hebrews 11, we talk about those of faith. And first listed is Abel, whose life echoes one word, worship. Second, recorded in the Hall of Faith is Enoch, who also may be identified with a single word, walk. Because Enoch walked with God physically and spiritually. Third on the list is Noah. And when we think of Noah, the word we think of is work. He spent 120 years building the ark, didn't he? All these men put their strength into their worship. They put their strength into their worship. You think about Abel. He put work into what he brought to the Lord there in Genesis. We think about Enoch who walked with the Lord and God finally said in, in so many words, hey, you're closer to my house than you are to mine. Come on home. Basically is what the Lord told him. And then when we think about Noah spending all those years working to build that ark in faith, his strength being used and his family being put to work for the Lord. We see that. We too must apply our strength in loving the Lord. There's things that need to be done around here. There's a, a community missional work, sharing the gospel with people, uh, handing out pamphlets about uh, our church and about Jesus Christ, most importantly. But we got Easter coming up very soon. We want our neighborhood and our community to know we're here. We're here. So we need to get out and tell them about it. We, we can do all kinds of things. We can write letters. Uh, listen, something I'm going to do this week, well, I may not this week. We've got a lot, a lot of hospital visits. But, but something I plan to do very soon is I'm going to ride through this little neighborhood over here. I did this up Old Road, and I went all the way up Breakfield, uh, New Prospect Road. I did this several months ago. Miss Deb knows about this. I rode through there, and I wrote down, I wrote every number on every mailbox. And I came back and I typed up a letter and I gave it to Teresa. This before Miss T was hired. And I gave it to either Teresa or Renee. And I said, I want you to mail this out to everybody who lives on these roads right here because they need to know we exist here at New Prospect Baptist Church. We exist to glorify God and to see people saved by the grace of God. And we want you here. And we're real close, so you ain't got to drive very far. You know? So come on down here. I mean, if you drive in 30 minutes to go to church, hey, we, we worship the same God. Come on. You know what I mean? We got places for you to serve here. Come on. So my plan next is to go over to that Hudson, uh, that community off of Hudson. Drive down Hudson Road, write down every mailbox number, and then I'm going to come in here and say, send that same letter out. People need to know we're here. People need to know we're here. People need to know that we love the Lord. We, we love them. We care about them. We, we care about where their soul will be for eternity. We need to do those things. And we need to put, we, need to, we must apply our strength in loving the Lord. We think about when Jesus responded to this scribe in our original text there in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 34. We, we think about when Jesus responded to the scribe there and without denying his own deity and yet at the same time acknowledging that there is only one God, Jesus taught that the greatest commandment is to give total allegiance with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the one true God. You know, Many commentaries, I've said this in weeks before, many commentaries said this really isn't supposed to be divided out to really break out and, and preach it in four different ways or, or about how you, but I, I don't see how you can't when Jesus said it, you know what I mean? Like we, we could take that and understand that. But the whole purpose of that is to say, the Shema says, listen, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, our Lord is one. 
And so when he says heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's letting you know, although you have these things, you're, you're worshiping him as one. You're loving him as one person. These are aspects of who you are, but yet you're loving him wholeheartedly. Hope, whole personhood is giving to him, given to him. So the worship of the Lord is in our physical bodies. It may require physical strength as we are addressing. But scripture also reminds us that when we are weak, he is strong. So it's not always about our physical strength. You may say today, I'm not physically that strong. I can't do the things I used to could do. That's okay. That's all right. Look there in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Paul is writing about a thorn in his flesh. He's talking about the challenges of serving the Lord with an issue that's going on in his life. We don't really know exactly what was happening there in Paul's life. But Paul writes about that. Paul wrote of a devoted love of the Lord this way here in 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I want you to understand, you may be battling something and dealing with something in your life. It may be emotional, it may be physical, it may be a, a, might be both, it might be spiritual. But I want to tell you this, when when I am weak, he is strong. And weak doesn't mean that you're just giving in to sin. It means that, that I, am, I am lowly. I am broken by the realization of who I am. I am, I am understanding that I am not on, on my own powerful. But through Christ, through Christ, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And apart from him, I can do nothing. So the basis, the foundation of our strength is not in our physicality. The basis of our strength is in the power of the blood of Jesus in our lives. It's in the power of Christ in his life, death, resurrection. It's in Christ where that strength is. He is our portion. He's our strength and we should and we must gird ourselves in health as much as possible. And we should and must train our bodies. Paul wrote in, in another passage of scripture, he wrote, I run this way, not with uncertainty. I fight this way, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He said, I'm doing everything I can to be sanctified is set apart. But everything rests in the power of Christ. Not in me. So I can love the Lord with all my strength through worship. The worship of giving my body. 
Paul is saying his body is a vessel or tool for God's will, but without proper discipline, training, and devotion, he would not run with certainty or with purpose. But with Christ as his strength and his aim, he does have certainty and purpose. A life strong with worship for Christ is a life that is well lived and is loving the Lord. Point number three, love the Lord with all our strength is through going. We're to, we're to love the Lord with all of our strength and service through worship and through going. In Ephesians chapter 6, flip over there very quickly. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 through 20. Paul wrote this, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, my thought, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. The work of the Lord was and is to go and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to go and do that. We are to go. Consider this. When we leave our house, when we leave our house many a times, maybe not for all, but for some, we choose a type of shoe for the action for which we are about to undertake, don't we? When I leave on Sunday mornings, I'm looking at a shoe kind of like this. All right, you see that? All right, that's the kind of shoe I usually wear. Because I preach it on Sunday mornings and wearing a suit wouldn't look right to wear tennis shoes with it. Some guys wear them, but if I was going to do that, I'd have to wear Chuck Taylors or something like that, some, some Converse All-Stars. But anyway, I'm not going to do that because that's just not my style. But anyway, most of the time, if you're going to go work, you're going to put on a pair of work boots, right? Now, if you want to be fancy in it, you put on cowboy boots. But, but anyway... I mean, there's not a whole lot of folks that actually work in cowboy boots. They just wear them as fancy shoes. Which, by the way, I want a pair of them. So, anyway, you, you put on those boots, and you go out and you work. And then I think about uh, high tops. You put on high tops. Boy, I'm dating myself, aren't I? You put on some high tops if you're going to go play basketball, right? On Wednesday night, on Thursday nights, when I come down here, buddy, I got them Steph Currys laced up. They're bright blue and yellow shoestrings. Man, I love them, love them Steph Currys. I got a few pairs of them. So I'll wear them if I'm going to play basketball. But if I were to play baseball, softball, soccer, or football, I'm going to put on a pair of what? Cleats. That's right. I'm going to get myself prepared for those things. And I'm going to put on the right type of shoes. Well, I'm going to tell you this. We are to shod or make ready our feet with the preparation for the gospel of peace. So what do we do? We pick up the word of God. And we learn what it means to go in peace. And we see how Christ did it. We see how Christ did it when he shared the gospel. When he went out, he was prepared. He had prayed. He had talked with the Father before he went out. He had his feet shod with the gospel of peace so that he could go out. He was prepared. So how do we express our love for the Lord by going? We get prepared and we get uh, and we get more directly prepared with the gospel of peace. There's no greater peace that we can bring than that, than a peace of reconciliation between God the Father and, and ourselves. 
That only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only way that comes, is it comes through Jesus Christ. So as we think about this in this going, as I'm, I'm going to abbreviate this last point since we're over. When we think about this, we think about how when we do that, we have got to go, and going takes sacrifice. Going takes sacrifice, guys. It may take sacrifice of time with your family. It may take sacrifice of your time. It may take sacrifice of your talents. It may take sacrifice of your skills. And it definitely should take a sacrifice of your thought. Because you're giving your thought to Christ. You're giving your thoughts to the Lord. And you're surrendering that to Him. I want to tell you this also. Going doesn't always take a plane, a train, or an automobile. But going always takes you. Going always takes you. We are the members of the body of Christ. We are to go. We are to worship. We are to serve. 